The following is a breakout session from the 2014 Acts 29 conference in Dallas. Given the interactive nature of breakouts and Q&A, there may be extended periods of silence. All righty, we're going to get started here. Uh, grab a seat, and uh, we're going to get going. Uh, you're really in for a treat. This uh, next guy is going to share with you. Brian Howard is a, a personal friend of mine. Uh, has been in my home. He is actually coaching me right now. He's uh, one of the godliest, wisest men I know. God's gifted him extraordinarily in the area of, of just, I think, practical wisdom. Uh, he is the coach of um, a lot of nationally um, and internationally known leaders that you would know and recognize. That he functions as a private consultant to these men. Uh, he is sought out by men that uh, are leading the church currently globally uh, for wisdom and counsel and coaching. He's a godly man that you're going to learn a lot from, and I'm really. When I thought of who could be men that could serve you well where you're at, uh, both Brian and Chris were at the top of my list, so I'm grateful they agreed uh, to come and serve you. So let me pray for you, and I'm going to turn it over to Brian and Chris and uh, let them take it from here, okay? So, Father, we love you, and we're grateful for your kindness to us. We're grateful that, as we've seen, you give gifts to men and women, and you give those men and women to the church for the sake of building uh, up the church and equipping the church for the sake of being effective on mission. Thank you for the gifts and abilities you've given to both Brian and Chris. We pray now, Father, by the power of your spirit, you would fill them to serve these men and women well, that we might increase our ability to serve you faithfully in the days to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Join me in welcoming Brian and Chris. Good afternoon, uh, pastors and churchmen and church ladies. That's good to be here with you guys. A little bit about about where I'm coming from. I planted Copper Hill Community Church in 2001 and then joined Acts 29 sometime around 2005 and uh, served as the West Coast uh, Regional Director for a number of years and on the board of Acts 29 for for a couple of years. Uh, went back and started the Sojourn Network in Louisville for three years and so was back there. I live in, been back in Southern California now where I'm from for the last two years and focus uh, a lot of my time on coaching. So I coach 30 leaders at a time and have spent uh, quite a bit of time interacting with um, church planning movement leaders and large church pastors and church planners and that sort of thing. So um, currently coach most of the regional directors in Acts 29, Matt Adair, those guys. And so uh, a lot of the guys that are leading your regions, I'm interacting with those guys every couple of weeks. And so Gotten to know the guys from Grace City Church quite a bit because I do a lot of work with those guys as well. And Chris and I have done quite a few things together. So what, what we want to talk to you about today, and I wasn't in the last session because we, we did this in another session as well. But what we want to talk to you about today, catchy title, how to dramatically increase giving in your church. Anybody not want to increase giving in your church? Anybody hope your giving goes down next week? You probably don't feel like that, right? Anybody that just feels like we just don't want more money? Okay, so now all of this is based, uh, this is very practical, but this is all based on the understanding that you are looking to fund mission. So I'm not going to preach to you in this, in this particular session. I'm going to give you some practical tools, understanding that your desire and goal is to fund the mission of reaching people in your community, of planting churches. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you six key steps, all right, six key things that you can do. And I've written this as well, so you can, we'll put it up here on the slides, and then you can also, I've written it so it's available online as well. Uh, I'll, I'll fill it out for you in terms of what can we do to really see giving um, 
be healthy and well in our church, to disciple people effectively in what it looks like to have good principles of biblical stewardship. Now, I don't assume that you're getting all six of these things wrong. And I also am not particularly concerned whether or not you agree on every one of these things. What I would say is when I coach somebody, oftentimes what I'm looking for is chinks in the armor. Okay, so, 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 so what I'll say to a leader that I coach is, all right, I'm going to pick apart your plan here. I'm going to look for things that I see that you might, you, like there's no sense arguing back with me. Look instead and say, is there something here that we're not doing well that we can disciple our people to give effectively in our local church. Now, especially for you guys in the one to 200 range, this sometimes is really missed early on. I just spoke to the 800 to 2000 guys and they're in a different stage where they've learned some of this. And so you might be getting three or four of these things wrong. The goal is that you walk out of here and go, all right, here's a couple of things that we can do to really disciple people more effectively in giving. Now, the way we're gonna do it is this. Chris is... Chris is the executive pastor of Grace City Church. He just spoke to you. And the way we're going to do this is I'm going to teach you the principle, and then Chris is going to give you a little bit of illustration in terms of here's how this looks at Grace City Church. Not that you have to emulate Grace City Church, but get a couple of ideas for what we can do to make giving more effective in our church. Now, let's start with this. Charitable giving is alive and well in America. So if you've ever heard people don't give anymore in America, that's not true at all. In fact, I just listened to a podcast last week, a Freakonomics podcast, if you've ever seen that, and it was something, it caught my attention, uh, and it was something about the psychology of a donor, and I was like, well, that's interesting, so I, I listened to it. Not all of it applied to us in local churches, because motive is important, right, for those of us that believe the gospel, but I was just curious about what does giving look like in America, and they made the point that giving is, is exponentially higher now in America, charitable giving, than it was 30 years ago. So believe it or not, giving is way up in America, but it's just not up in churches. It's way down in churches, and it's way up in America. So you need to start by realizing that people do still give. So what can we do to disciple the people in our churches, whether they're brand new Christians or have been Christians for a long time, and to be more effective givers. All right, here, here's the, I'm going to give you six things, and I've called them pieces or components. And your goal is to go, here's a couple we're not doing very well. All right, here's the first one, the biblical piece. We're going to start with men. This is a football. All right, you know that, that uh, Vince Lombardi analogy we're, or, or story? We're going to start with the, with the very basics, all right? If you are looking to see financial giving increase in your church, you have to teach your people what the Bible says about money. Now, especially in your stage, I'm concerned for some of you with, with this mentality. We're not going to talk about money here. We're not going to preach on giving. Uh, people are burned out on that. They think the church just wants to take your money, and therefore, we're never going to teach the gospel of Luke because it has a lot to say about money. Now, I've preached through big, preached for 20 years. Every Sunday, I preached through big sections of the New Testament, many books of the New Testament. The further I got down the road, the more I realized you can't avoid possessions in the New Testament. It's interlinked with the gospel. Keller talk, Tim Keller talks about, what does he talk about, the three areas being money, power, and sexuality in terms of the areas that we live differently. So if, if you've got this idealism in your head and you've come out of a megachurch that's done seven capital campaigns, and so you feel like, I don't want to preach about giving, I would challenge you to say, 
how are you going to disciple people in what the New Testament teaches? Now, the, your specific application of that, I mean, you, you have to figure out how you're going to do that, but make sure that you have a clear understanding of uh, good theology of money and possessions yourself, and then teach it. All right? So if, if you've said in the past, we're not going to talk about giving, we're going, you know, George Mueller or whatever, we're never going to talk about it, we're just going to trust God, it's going to come in, then what you're going to find five years is you're going to be in that next stage in the room that I just came from, and, and you're going you're gonna to have the giving of a church of 150 and the attendance of a church of 400 because you have failed your people and you haven't taught them what the Bible actually teaches. Now, it might just be laziness and you haven't thought about it and you haven't planned it. And it might be that, that philosophically you've been burned in the past. But what I'm saying is don't avoid saying what the Bible says. You don't have to read all your opinions into it or guilt people or pressure them. Teach what the Bible says. Now, what are you guys doing at Grace City Church in terms of teaching what the Bible says about money? Yeah, we, we make sure that it's regularly on the conscience of our people. Um, so we make sure that it is uh, a topic of conversation from the pulpit. Um, there's other things that we do. But from the pulpit, we make sure that it's just a regular. We, we want to take the awkwardness out of the money conversation. So... Uh, and then the biggest thing we've done is we had uh, uh, one of our preaching campaigns, and we've, we've, we had a whole campaign on, on lies people believe about sex, and we had a whole campaign on, on parenting. Well, our third campaign was treasure. It was a whole campaign on money. We spent eight weeks talking about what the Bible has to say about money, um, and I was just doing the math. Our giving increased after that uh, by 28% in one year. So um, it's just when people are freed up, uh, and they realize what the gospel uh, has to say, or what you know what Jesus has to say about money, and apply the gospel to it. Um, it it free it frees people up. So, church planters are notoriously bad at listening to older people. <laughs> okay, so, and Ed Stetzer used to say it's like herding cats. You know, dealing with church planters is what he used to say. So, listen to some of us that are that are a little further down the road. You know, I'm a little further down the road than some of you. And don't end up having to go back and repent five or six years later because you've led people to Christ, but they have no idea what the Bible teaches about money, possessions, stewardship. All right, number two, the practical piece. All right, number one was the biblical piece. Remember, you're looking for something that you're weak in here. Number two is the practical piece. You might be surprised at how many younger churchgoers have no idea what it costs to run a church, or even where the money goes. Well, we were probably two years into our church plant back in about 2003. A young man came to me in his mid-20s, and he said, hey, I want to know where the money goes. And if somebody asks you that question, how does it make you feel? Your fists start to rise, right? You feel like, all right, here we go. And so that's what happened to me. And I, he sent me an email. I think there was email in 2003, wasn't there? So something like that. I got a letter at my front door from a pigeon. So, so he, uh, he said, hey, I, I want to know where the money goes. And so I was, I was feeling really defensive initially. And so I called him and said, hey, let's get together. And, and at the time, I think our office was in my garage. So we met in my garage, came over to the church office. And, and uh, I said, so, so tell me about this. And he said, well, my wife is a brand-new Christian. And his wife had a substantial salary. He made less in the family than his wife earned at the time. He was still a student. He said, and I'm trying to disciple my wife into, what, into why we should give. 
and what that looks like. But she has no concept of where money goes in the local church, and frankly, I'm not sure where it goes either. So could you just teach me where, what, what, is it, what does a local church do with money? Now, here's what I want to say. Modern givers are not likely to offer blind trust with their giving. This isn't 30 years ago where people just show up and they're just used to giving because they're loyal. Now, people give to causes. They don't give out of loyalty at this point in our culture. And so if people have no idea what a, what a church needs money for, what does a church even spend money on? Now, again, this is like there's a lot of dialogue in this point right here. But I would say look for ways to educate your people concerning how resources are allocated. All right, now, now let me say this. You do not have to be rigorously specific. Okay, so I was in a dialogue last night with a couple of 829 leaders about whether or not you should publish your salaries to the congregation because it was where there was a difficult situation going on in a particular large church which we were talking about whether or not that was necessary. And I was sitting in the car with, with Steve Timmis. We were dialoguing about that. What do you do at the crowded house? What do you do over here? I'm not suggesting, and you, you guys might have different opinions on that, I'm not suggesting that you have to be rigorously specific. In fact, I would say the larger the church, oftentimes, the less detail needs to be communicated. But I would say look for ways to educate your people. You might do that once a year. If you, if you, if you come out of a Baptist background and your congregation has to affirm the budget, then, then that's a time when you can cast vision. And you can say, here's, here's what we do. This is what we do with missionaries. These are the church planners we're supporting this but look, way, look for ways to make sure that nobody is sitting back saying, we don't have any idea what a church needs money for. Harvey and Turner and I just did this session together, and he was saying, we want people to know what it, like we have to provide pastors with health benefits. We, 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 we buy children's ministry curriculum or whatever. And so you have to figure out contextually what that looks like. But the principle is, you shouldn't have anybody sitting in your church who has no idea what what it takes to run a church or where funds go at all. Chris, mm -hmm. what are you guys doing here? Well, we don't do enough, and we need to do better at this, but um, I, I, I'll second that. It's, it's super important. We send out member reports that has uh, our income and attendance, so people know how much money is coming in. Uh, we need to do a better job of, of on, on, uh, on, on some level explaining uh, where things go for training and, and whatnot. Um, we also have annual reports uh, or actually we've been starting to do them semi-annually now and we'll hand them out to people as they walk in the door so that they can see numbers not just for, for this but for everything for um, uh, boy, baptisms and, and, and money sent out to, to missionaries and, and so you know, it's just hey FYI in the last six months we've been able to do this, 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 this make it graphic you know, uh, you know graphic uh, representations on the uh, on the page, make it fun to look at. Don't don't bore them with a with a with a spread, you know, an Excel you know printout. Um, it it looks cool, um, and and people do need to know what it costs. Um, you you don't want people to go from thinking, well, what I just come on Sunday for two hours. There's one preacher. How much can it actually cost to run a church? You you want to get them from that uh, wrong thinking, uh, uh, you know, down the road a little bit. But I agree, you probably don't need to go, you know, with a fine tooth comb and, you know divulge salaries and whatnot. But. Just a quick side note, I'm a fan of five major budget categories. And in the leadership network world, these, did you just teach this already? He says four. Did you include <laughs> savings in that? 
I did. You, okay. Well, no, well, no. Savings, savings is the buffer between income and expense. So five. Okay. We agree. All right, good. So, so <laughs> I, and Chris and I do a lot of work together, so we probably see this pretty much the same way. And if not, you've got two amazingly good, or one great, one mediocre <laughs> paradigm for, for finances. But just, I'm a fan of these five categories. Operations, everything that's not romantic goes in there. Okay. Staffing, that does not include your book budget or a, a coffee with your staff or whatever. It includes salary and benefits, anything that's there, all right? M- ministries would be number three. That's everything that happens inside. Now you can have your subcategories like children's and community groups or missional communities or whatever. Uh, four would be missions, and that's everything that happens outside. And then five would be savings. Now, you can, you, you can amend that however you want, but... It's just helpful for you, say, in December, when you're casting vision for your church and saying, hey, guys, next year our budget's $300,000 or whatever it is or $150,000. You just need to have an idea of where these general numbers are going to go. All right? Educate them. Number three, the reminder piece. This is perhaps the most um, pressing thing on my mind of these six that I, that I think I would, that I see a lot of failure in this area. And sometimes it's just you haven't thought enough about it. Sometimes you're tired because you don't have anybody on your team to do it. you got to figure out how to do this, all right? Churches oftentimes make the mistake of failing to keep giving in front of people, all right? So you, you, maybe you've preached on it once or twice, and maybe you, you, you pass an annual budget or something like that, but it's problematic if you don't keep giving in front of people. You know why? Now think about this. If a person doesn't give for four months and they all of a sudden realize that, what do they do? Do they make up those four months of giving? What do they do? They write one check. They go, dang it, I haven't given in four months, but that was a great vacation we had, wasn't it? We should start giving again. And so people are sometimes forgetful. People are sometimes lazy. And so you've got to keep giving in front of people. And Nobody brings a checkbook to church who doesn't have gray hair. Okay, so, I mean, I suppose there's somebody. I don't even know where our checkbook is. My wife uses it to write checks for our kids' athletic events, but I don't want to even get involved in that. So I don't know where our checkbook is. Now, I know there's one or two of you sitting out there that, that actually likes to walk up and, and, and worship God through giving and put the check in, but a lot of people aren't going to do that. And so you have to keep giving in front of people. I think I gave you some suggestions Three up there. All right, the first thing would be send regular giving statements. Now, right now, you're like, you don't understand. I don't even have time to prepare my sermon for Sunday. Well, then find somebody and pay them $8 an hour, your daughter who's 14 or whatever, okay, to send regular giving statements. A minimum of quarterly. Because you know what you've just done? You've just told people, hey, don't forget, give. You thank people for giving. You've reminded them to continue to give. I get those in the mail. We do it monthly. I get them in the mail, and it's like, oh, it's a, it's a continual reminder. Okay, so send regular giving statements. You all have software that can do that. If not, somebody else will teach you that in another session, all right? Number two, mention giving weekly whether or not you pass an offering plate. Now, if I ask the churches of 2000 if they pass an offering plate, most of them say yes. If I ask you guys, a lot of you say no, okay? So, but whether or not you pass an offering plate, mention giving weekly. Now, l- let, me, let me give you a couple of thoughts in terms of how to do this. Think right now in your, in your head, lead pastor or planter, okay? How much time do you spend preparing a sermon in a given week? 
you probably spend 10 hours, 12 hours preparing a sermon. How much time does your worship leader spend preparing his comments? None. He just says what's ever on his mind in the moment, right? You're like, I think that was straight out of the Catholic catechism. I think I have to go correct that. All right. All right. So, and think about the fact that you're trying to teach your people to give, all right? So you might spend 10 minutes and think through, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to mention this weekly, and I'm going to give a 30-minute you know, instruction about this. Keep in mind, we give generously because of what God has done. Like, prepare yourself for that and mention it weekly. Keep it in front of people. All right, here's the third thing is make giving easy by encouraging people to set up online giving profiles. Now, again, I know there's a couple of you out there that like to write the check. You feel like that's what I like to do. But a lot of us, when you think about how people pay their bills, I don't pay... I don't, pay, I don't pay my mortgage payment. It just, I just, it comes out automatically every month because I set it up that way. I want to make sure that I can automate everything I can because we forget to pay bills and then you get a mean letter from somebody in the mail and, or whatever, you know. So, so if, you, if you are effective at, incur, and I don't mean just make it accessible. I mean promote it. Encourage your people. Set up an online giving profile, which, by the way, is biblical, because the scripture says to decide in your heart what you're going to give, like make an advanced decision what you're going to give. Now, when I just did this session with Harvey Turner from Living Stones, they actually have a website called lsgiving.com. It's that simple. And it links you back to their, their online giving profile. You might buy a domain and say it's real simple or put it right on your website and then tell people, tell people, hey, perhaps you would want to consider regularly, is it 2 Corinthians 9, 7, I think that teaches that? regularly, systematically giving by setting up an online giving profile. Now, for us, that doesn't dampen our enthusiasm for worshiping God through generosity at all because when giving is mentioned on Sunday morning, we, we can be reminded we're doing that. We're doing that regularly. What are you guys doing with any of this reminder stuff? Yeah, one thing I do, um, anytime a new giver gives, I send them a letter within three days. I think it would be completely wrong uh, to, to miss that opportunity. Uh, it's just a great opportunity. It's only going to happen once. So I make sure that new givers get a letter right away. Uh, I send out semi-annual uh, giving statements. Uh, obviously, the one is for tax purposes. The other one is just for a reminder. I know Brian mentioned quarterly. I think that's great. Um, you should do that. And uh, we send out a weekly uh, reminder uh, on our hub, on our, on our church database, our, our network, and uh, it's the weekly announcements, and at the bottom of that, uh, it's just a reminder of the five ways that you can give to GCC. So they're seeing that in their email inbox uh, every single week. So. Good. And I'm just reminded of what Harvey just illustrated again. They, once a month, do a financial update on Sunday morning in their worship gathering. And what they do is they, they just take about five minutes, and they walk through, here's what's happening right now in our ministry. Here's what we've been doing. Here's the project we just completed. Here's, here's what's happening with the church plant we're supporting. And then at the end, they say, and here's where we are financially. Our need for this month was, you know, I'll put it in, in numbers that, of a church this size. Our need for this month was $15,000. We brought in $14,002. Our goal for next month is, is $15,500. Keep in mind, let's, 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 we're family here. Let's pitch in together. Let's, let's, Let's get these church plants off the ground together. Let's let's pay for our let's let's pay our staff. Let's pay our bills. Let's do this as a family. So just remember, 
reminder. What are you doing to keep it in front of your people? Number four. Let me, let me just add there, if I could, real quick. Uh, on online giving, uh, you may have heard the, the saying, uh, uh, the, more, the more options you give, the more people will opt. Um, and it's, it's totally true. And for the first year after uh, instituting online giving, I was tracking all of our giving methods. It's a lot of work, and so I stopped doing it after about a year, but it gave me a good handle on, on, on uh, where the income was coming in. Now, it won't necessarily mean that your giving will go up necessarily, but, but I think it will in some cases where, where Brian mentioned, like the person who forgets their checkbook or doesn't bring it and they go four weeks, if you take some of that forgetfulness out of it, you will end up with more giving. But uh, sometimes people don't want to try to think about the check or try to think about the tithe box, but if they can go online, hey, that's cool, I can do that. So I think people, you will see more, and, and, and it'll be interesting to see, you can track it in your, in your context, uh, how that giving's actually coming in. So. And that's done at Living Stones. Once a month, the last slide says, here's five ways you can give. There's a kiosk in the lobby. Now, mm -hmm. most of you guys are probably portable, okay? So you might not have four ATM machines out in your lobby or whatever, <laughs> but and you might not even philosophically like that, but... But, uh, but just highlighting, here's, here's four ways you can give. Mm -hmm. You can go to, you know, whatever website, front page of our website, there's a box out there. Keep it in front of people. Mm -hmm. Number four is the membership piece, all right? So we've looked at the biblical piece, uh, the practical piece, the reminder piece. Number four would be the membership piece. And this is pretty simple, and probably a lot of you are doing this, but in your church membership process, that's the time to begin laying foundation. All right, to begin saying, here's what it looks like for a person to be a fully committed family member in this local church. And so that's a great time for you to implement all of the things that we're talking about right now. You can just take a couple minutes, and I know a lot of us do membership interviews. We've been influenced by guys like Dever, and so we, 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 we want to make sure that a person can, under, that, that they understand the gospel and those sorts of things. And then we, we probably paint out, this is what it looks like to be a member of a family. You're not committing to a corporate institution per se. You're committing to a local church body here. Okay, so this is what commitment looks like in our church. Well, we're family here. That's one of our values. That's one of the analogies for local church and scripture. So, so this is what it looks like for us, to, for us to partner financially. And so you could even say the scripture clearly teaches this. Practically, here's, you know, this is kind of what funds look like here. Do you have any questions about that? We would love to talk to you about that. You can disciple them and shepherd them right there. You might have a person in a membership interview say, man, I just have a real problem with that. That, that becomes a great moment for you to dialogue through that with the person. And for some, when a person is resistant to this, usually it's because they've come from somewhere and they've seen money wasted or embezzled or something like that. That becomes a great opportunity for you to say, Man, we were tight with our financial procedures. We've got good controls. Here's, here's how money is spent, educating them. We're going to remind you. you know, we're going to send you a quarterly reminder or whatever. And so in your membership process, add giving to the commitment that a church member makes when he or she joins a church. And then in your membership interview, discuss and explain giving for a church member. So now remember, the ultimate goal here isn't necessarily to increase your giving. The ultimate goal here is to have a robust, committed New Testament church membership where people live in community as family, where, where we live on mission together, where we exercise the one another's in community, where we, where we financially support missions and church planning and the people that are laboring to do the work of the ministry. So what we're looking for here is a robust, a financially robust membership. Don't let your membership process go by 
without laying a good foundation in this area. Yep. Not a lot to add there. Absolutely, that's what we do. It's in our membership documents. It's in the membership interview. A big it's, amen. Yeah, it's part of, part of shepherding people. Cool. Number five, we are going to um, stop in five to ten minutes and take questions from you guys, so we'll be thinking about that. But uh, number five is the commitment piece. Now, this is a little bit more of a fringe idea here. It's not just an idea. People do it. But it's something that I'm challenging you to just think about. And you might go, no, we're not going to do that. You might go, I kind of like that. I would argue, once again, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, that it's biblical, but it looks like this. I've seen several churches lately moving toward asking church members to make an annual giving commitment. Now, some of you old Baptist people remember the faith promise days, all right? Remember that? Uh, where people would where people would make a commitment about what they were going to give to missions next year, whatever. But think about this, all right? Just consider this. Let's say you have a calendar year budget, January through December, and you've done these first few things. You've preached on what the Bible says about giving. You might do it once a quarter, once a year. We're going to hit it for, for a month or something like that. Our people understand what our budget looks like, all right? Uh, we, we consistently remind them, you know, we, we've made giving easy uh, for them to give. We, we've, we've included it in our membership and, and so people already believe in this, all right? So we're already robust in this area. You could consider doing something like this. Set your annual budget in the fall, planning on growth for next year. So I coach one A29 pastor right now. Uh, their budget for next year is gonna be $320,000. The church's a little larger than some of you guys in here. Uh, he's eight or nine years in. Uh, when I first started coaching him, I think their budget was like 280. And, and part of what he wanted me to do is help him, like how, how can we... We never even talked about this with our church before. So I said, let's set a little bit more of an aggressive number. Now discuss it with your elders. You're not trying to be all top down, but like consider as, as, a, as an elder group, like let's, let's ask our church to step up a little bit. We'd like to do a couple things this year. We'd like, to, we'd like to grow in this area. So set your annual budget in the fall, planning on growth for next year, and then communicate the budget to your congregation, maybe the first week of December, and say, hey, you know, our budget last year was $150,000, but next year, we, we'd like to take on this church planner. We'd like to, we'd like to support this. That We'd like to do this. We'd like to bring on, so we're, we're shooting for 180 next year. And, and we're asking you to write down what you think you can commit to give next year. I know that's kind of scandalous, all right? But 2 Corinthians 9-7 talks about making an advanced decision of what you'll give. So when I... Leonce was in my last session. He was nodding his head in the back row. I know there are larger churches in Acts that actually do this, that ask people to make a commitment. Now, it's, it's not necessarily they're going to show up in black suits on your front doorstep saying, hey, what's wrong? You haven't given. Although some, some, some churches in 829 are pretty rigorous about holding members accountable to give, but at least consider calling people to something. Rather than just going, oh, we don't know what's going to come in next year. You know, maybe we'll think about this. What about leading with vision and saying, here's where we believe God wants us to go next year. I, as a family, this is what it's going to take. What part of that can you own? Now, if I'm in your congregation and you say that to me, I'm interested. I feel like, man, these, these guys have thought about where they're going next year. They're asking me to go home and pray with my wife about what we're going to do. It's not just haphazard. And so we're going, okay, maybe, maybe we can give a little bit more next year because they've led with vision. So consider that. 
or some sort of iteration of that somehow, the commitment piece. You guys ever done anything like that before? Yeah, so we just did pledges for the first time last year. And um, I like it because it gives you another opportunity to talk about the budget coming up. It gives you another uh, metric to, to look at for, for uh, doing your budget. Uh, it gets more buy-in. It lets people know they're a part of the process. Um, I'm not sure how helpful it was. I ended up getting about 35% of our church actually filled out a pledge. Uh, but what I did is I compared uh, all the giving they said that they would give uh, to what they gave the previous year. And, and all but two were going to give more than they had given the year before. Uh, and I can't remember the exact percentage. But that helped me to just, to just kind of get a, a feel for the trajectory of the church. That if these people took the time to fill out this pledge card and they're, and they're saying they're going to give more than they gave last year, it's just helpful. Now, I didn't put a lot of that, uh, I didn't factor a lot of that into the budget um, because I don't know if the other 60% who didn't do a pledge card was because they planned on giving less. <laughs> and so I didn't think of it as a sample size, like, like well, boy, if 30% said this, then let's just do the math here. Um, I thought, you know what, I think they're probably the ones who were going to give more probably did that. So I wasn't sure how helpful it was, so I didn't put a lot of weight into it, but it did invite them into the process. So 35% and all but two said they were going to give more next year. Yep. It's and, and I, would, I would challenge you a little bit of a parenthesis to this point. Uh, and I know some of you don't even like talking about numbers and you feel like, can I just preach and somebody else can handle that. But, but, but think about this. Consider actually raising your budget next year and calling your people to support it. Now, not just because, not just because you, you have nothing to cast vision for, but because you're calling them to say, here's where we're headed. Let's do this together. Let's do it together. All right, lastly, number six. And then we'll summarize this uh, and uh, take some questions. Number six is the leadership piece. Now, um, I planted in two, late 2001 and pastored that church for the next nine years. And if I, I'm, I'm asked this all the time now, especially in coaching, if you had to do it again, like there were certain things that I did well and there were certain things that I did horribly. And if I had to do it again, I would do this one differently, okay, because it ended up becoming a problem uh, in years five and six, okay? The idea here is how can we ask people to give if leaders don't first model giving? Now, about five years into our church, I looked at our leaders giving. I'd never looked before because I had this like, I shouldn't look, you know, you might feel like that. Uh, and, and finally, I think the reason I looked is we were about to add some elders. So I looked at our current elders. I never promised anybody I wouldn't look. I just hadn't. Uh, and, I, and I discussed it with our current elders. I looked, and it was like a punch to the stomach. Anybody ever experienced that before? If you've ever looked, you've experienced it. It'll discourage you. Um, but what I realized is we have leaders in the top level of leadership in this church and we were a church of like four or 500 people at that time who don't give. I mean, they gave $100 last year. And I just thought, oh my goodness, here I am calling our people to mission. You know, we've got a $500,000 budget and our leaders don't give. And right then, and of course, you know, uh, I probably didn't handle it with as much grace then as I hope I would now because I was ready to take all of our elders out and beat them, you know, in the... I shouldn't have said that. That's not really true. I just felt, I just felt frustrated by it, you know? So it just felt frustrating. I felt like, man, I'm trying to give. You're not giving at all. And it makes for some hard conversations. Um, 
And I realized from this point on, you can't be a leader in this church if you don't give. Now, there's all kinds of different opinions about whether or not you should look at the giving. Again, larger church pastors, you know, Larry Osborne uh, says, if you think you're in, a lot of guys will say, well, I don't want to look because I don't want to show a person favoritism and treat people differently. Larry Osborne would just say, then don't treat them differently. That's what, that's what he says. So, you know, so um, the Living Stones elders basically have walked through that and decided we're going we're gonna to shepherd our people in this way. And they've decided to look at that. And they, like if you're a community group leader at Living Stones, you have to give. You have to give or they will call you and say, if you're a leader in this church, you have to give. Now, all kinds of ways to apply this, but I'd say one key thing. Listen to me. Do not allow a man to be an elder in your church without somebody looking at his giving first. All right? So, or you're, you're setting yourself up down the road somewhere for a problem. Because if a person is not giving in your church at all and is about to become an elder, something's wrong there. Something's wrong. There's a heart issue. Maybe he's not bought in. And so all that to say, however you implement this, and it's not important to me whether you agree or not, it's important to me that you consider a healthy uh, culture of generosity is going to include uh, leaders who have a healthy perspective on generosity, who have a gospel vision of generosity. So however that's going to look in your context, whether you look at giving, whether you don't, we had a lot of questions about this in the last session. Just consider, we need to have leaders in our church who give. Now, when I went to Sojourn, and I was on staff at Sojourn, preached there for three years in Louisville. Some of you were at that church during that time. When I was at Sojourn, we actually required our elders and our staff to give. We required that. We said, if you're on our staff or if you're an elder, you're required. And we required a certain 51% of what they, not really, not, not that high of a percentage, but a but a healthy uh, giving percentage because we wanted to be able to stand in front of our congregation and say, our leaders lead the way. Now at Living Stones, they actually, they, they communicate to their church, this is what our leaders gave last month. <laughs> That's what they actually stand up and say, our leaders are leading the way in giving here. We're not only standing up saying this, but we're leading the way. Recently, I was coaching a guy who was doing a capital campaign and they finished the capital campaign and he realized that three of his six elders had not pledged a cent to the capital campaign. So first I scolded him a little bit and said, you know that in the capital campaign process, you get the commitment from your elders first before you ever go to the congregation. So you can say to the congregation, our leaders have, we're leading the way here. We're committed to this. But you don't want to end up in that spot. And so make sure you cultivate a healthy culture of leadership generosity. Yeah, we've, we've looked at that number over the years, and our, our elders have, have regularly been in the top 25 of our, of our givers uh, in the church. A lot of our deacons as well uh, went through, and, and even our gospel community leaders. So this applies, I know, because you don't have a lot of staff here, but think of leaders as in elders, deacons, um, other, other leaders in your church, and, and make sure you're leading the way. Um, don't be a hypocrite. We did last year. Um, share the number of, hey, collectively, uh, our leadership has given this percentage of our overall giving ha has come from the leaders. So, And we're also modeling it as a church, as an organization. And we share with people uh, the missionaries that we're supporting, how much we're giving to church planting. Um, and we found, it was funny, we're, we're, just, we're about six and a half years in now. Um, at the five-year mark, we were running some reports and uh, found that we had, in through five years of being a church, given away the equivalent of our first two years' worth of income. 
And so we, we, we show, showed that to everybody, um, that, that we've given away that much in, in that five years. So lead the way uh, in that way. Good. Let me summarize here, and let me say this. If you're looking for a holistic strategy of how to shepherd people in biblical stewardship and generosity, I'd encourage that you consider all six of these. You might decide, we're going to attack one or two of these things first. Or you might go, we're doing three or four of these well, but here's an area that I think we can do a little bit more effectively with the motive of we want to be a, a church that is generous so that we can do effective kingdom work. Uh, I've, by the way, I've written all this. It's on my blog, brianhardblog.com, and tons of other stuff like it. So a lot of you have been there. But if you haven't, you can go read this if you didn't take notes. I think now, is Josh coming back up for questions or just me and you? I don't know. Oh, I think it's just you, you and I. But uh, why don't I start off by answering some of the questions you guys texted. Um, and I don't know how many of them came from here um, and, and how many came from the live stream. Uh, but there's, there's a few here that I can answer pretty quickly so I can get through a lot of them. There was, there was 37 of them. And I talked about 10 of you afterwards as well. Um, somebody asked, what, what is a, a, a rough average of how much giving you should expect per year? I, I had that chart up there. I've heard that the national average is $1,000 per person per year. Um, some people count the kids, some people don't. I think that number counts the kids. But the reason, and like I, I stress so much on the context, you could be in a totally different context, different cost of living, uh, college town. So if you want to use that, you can, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't put a lot, a lot of stock into it. Um, so uh, uh, regarding slides, yes, email me, chris at gracecitychurch.com if you want those slides, uh, the coaching thing as well, uh, or consulting, chris at gracecitychurch.com. Uh, question came up about when should uh, you have a fiscal year? What, what should your fiscal year run? Uh, for the first six years, we did a calendar year fiscal year, and then we switched to uh, July 1st uh, this year, and I love it for two reasons, um, but you can do whatever. Um, the, the reason I, I like starting July 1st is we tend to grow the most in the fall, and so when you're budgeting closer to when you're going to experience your growth, it's just easier to project out three months and have a better handle on that versus creating a budget in December, wondering how big are we going to be next October when that's going to be where your growth is. So it kind of follows the, the, the school year calendar as well uh, of, of school starting in the fall and ending in June. Um, and the other reason I like it is it gives you two times a year to talk about giving at least. I mean, you should be talking about it more than that. But people are going to naturally give in December for, for tax reasons. Um, and now you have another opportunity in June to talk to them about giving to make budget if you're, if you're behind. So... But again, we just started doing it, but those are a couple reasons why I like that. Uh, somebody asked what software we use. We use uh, QuickBooks, the nonprofit version. Uh, pretty simple, pretty standard. Um, a book recommendation. I would highly recommend uh, Money Matters in Church by Steve Stroop. Uh, it's all things money in the church. You're going to want to write that down. Um, and the other one, actually, uh, Sticky Teams, was really good. Uh, there's some, uh, there's st some stuff in there about uh, giving and leadership, and um, that, that's really good. But Money Matters in Church by Steve Stroop. Um, if you want to give your, your second, your executive guy a book to read, uh, I recommend uh, Leading from the Second Chair. It's pretty good. It's not so much all finances, but it's about being a second chair leader. Uh, somebody asked for clarification on the, uh, when I said that if 10%, if or excuse me, yeah, if 10% of of your donor base is contributing more than 50% of your income to, to be careful with that. And asking, is that family units? Is that 
you know, what is that number? And again, that's just a rough number, uh, but we count our giving by households. Um, so we, we, it's literally a household. If a teenager is growing up and they're starting to give on their own, I mean, that teenager becomes a unit, a giving unit, uh, but typically a household is a giving unit. So um, I don't know if that's, that's helpful. Um, no, we do not put uh, conferences and training in our compensation number. That was one of the questions. That is a separate operations um, piece that we don't put in, in uh, compensation. And uh, was this uh, session recorded? And my answer is it was supposed to be, and I think it is. So look for that online at some point, um, hopefully. Um, hopefully it was. So those are some that I got through quick. There's about 10 of them right there, but... Um, so any other questions uh, for either one of us in the final 10 minutes that we have regarding first session or this session? We'll open it up. Right this way. Yeah, so the question for the recording there was how do you uh, meet with these key givers um, without showing partiality, roughly? Um, I would say, in general, uh, you should never show partiality, but it doesn't mean you should avoid them. Uh, they need to know that they're a key component of, of the church, that it's, it's okay for them to know um, the, the role they play in the church at large. And... Uh, and give them opportunities to, to give more. If you have something coming up, like, like you mentioned, that's totally fine. That's not playing, playing favoritism. Um, you, you definitely don't want um, to treat people differently, but there's no reason why you can't go out and have lunch with that person and just thank them, just let them know. I mean, there's, there's a lot of gifts operating in the church, and, and the gift that I see operating you is generosity, and thank you very much, and, and just uh, thank them for, for that. You have anything to add to that, Mike? No, that's good. Uh, adding, okay, so the question, right, that, that app. Okay, so the question was uh, just a, another meth, uh, mode of, of giving, uh, using text to give. Uh, I've looked into that. Um, I, I think there's, there's text to give, which has small limits, like 10 and $5 donations. And then there's text to donate. It's done by the same people. I think you can go to texttogive.com. Um, I love the, the, the idea of, of using that technology. Um, and that's, that's where everything's going. Uh, so many donations are, are given uh, mobily uh, as well. If you, uh, it, you know, if you have an online database or you're online giving, um, if you've got the mobile app for that, uh, you can also have the Give button available right there on their phone so people can give that way too, which also keeps it mobile. We have not done t uh, text to donate uh, yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if we do soon. He asked uh, on the reminder piece, how do you keep that from just becoming white noise? I don't know that I've ever really seen that happen. I, I can't think of a church 
that is in our general sort of world, I guess, that over-reminds people. Usually, it's the opposite. And so I do think, I, I do think you want to be creative in how you're keeping giving in front of people. Like I think the, the three things that I mentioned were giving statements aren't white noise. You're just letting a person know, here's what you've given, and it just shows up in your mailbox and you glance at it for you know, five or ten seconds, but it's a reminder. Sunday morning, teaching people to give and mentioning it on Sunday morning, I would say, is discipling people into, into good principles of stewardship. Uh, in terms of encouraging people to set up online giving profiles, I don't think that's, that's probably not going to feel like information overload because you're, you, know, you might have it printed in your program. You might say it in your membership interview. So I do think you don't want to just say the same exact, you know, you read a five-minute speech every Sunday morning. You just want to think through, if a person wants to give, we just want to make sure that they know, hey, here's where we are financially, here's, here's what it looks like to give. And so I, I, I haven't really seen it done. And I've visited a lot of churches, and, and a lot of them are very difficult to connect in, but I've never been to a church that I can think of. Uh, where I just felt like, man, they just over and over and over again, it's just too much information on giving. Usually, it's like it's really difficult to figure out how do I even give or where do I start because there's 400 announcements in the bulletin. So yeah, and I was gonna I was gonna say the same thing. Uh, uh, find ways to be creative, um, creatively share the same numbers in different ways over time, or or just find different numbers to share. Uh, and you know, nobody's gonna look at their giving statement. And then when you talk about uh, giving two weeks later from the pulpit, go like, oh, I'm tired of hearing this. It, that's a different method. It's, you know, there's just different creative ways to, to share. Way back in the back. Some good and bad reasons for doing a capital campaign is what he asked. Um, Chris and I probably both have answers to this. And are you guys in? Have you started a capital campaign yet? We haven't started yet. We're just, just beginning the process. Yep. Well, I'll give you a couple of quick thoughts and then maybe Chris can dive in. Mm -hmm. I've got at least five guys that I work with now that are doing capital campaigns. It usually doesn't work at this size. So if you called Generis or Covenant Group or one of those groups that does capital campaigns, uh, most of the time, most of the guys that I know or churches that I see doing capital campaigns are more in that four, five hundred range of, of church. And so... I don't, this isn't, you know, this isn't based on all kinds of data. It's anecdotal of, of me just interacting with people. So good reasons uh, would usually be, usually people are doing capital campaigns that have to do with, most of the time it's attached to some sort of facility, and included in that is oftentimes a vision for missions or a vision for adding a staff person or two. Uh, a bad reason, I don't know if it's a bad reason, but it's uncompelling, is... Uh, you know, people struggle to give. What do they say? People give to vision, not need. And so it's like, hey, you guys, we're $200,000 in debt. Help bail us out. That's not very compelling. Hey, you guys, we're going to build an orphanage in Africa. That's super compelling. You know, and so I don't know if I would say it's bad, but I would say normally if you're going to try to raise money, you're trying to raise money for where you, where, where you believe God's leading you to go. And, and so I would say probably the most pressing issue in this size group is that you want to build right now, I think in this stage of church, just a culture of good, healthy generosity. 
Uh, and you also want to be saving money. By the way, that's a major mistake I made that I wish I could go back 14 years and do over 13 years is you should save money as a church planner. Okay, seriously, write it down. And here's why. You're going to be three or four years in, and there's going to be some opportunity that comes your way. Hey, there's a building that just opened up that we could lease. But in order to get in there, we have to do $60,000 worth of renovations. Where are we going to get that money? How much have we saved? Nothing. We have one day's expenses in the bank. Okay, so I coach a, a church planner in Indianapolis who's downtown in a bad neighborhood. City of Indianapolis just came to him and said, we want to give you two houses. They're gentrifying all this area down there. And, but basically, they went and figured out, in order to have these two houses, we'll need to dump about $75,000 into them in order to get, a, get them inhabitable. Okay, so they had saved the money. Now, it was a question of whether or not we're going to spend the money on that, but they're a church plant that's a year and that had already saved enough money to be able to establish a major presence in downtown Indianapolis now based on that, that whole situation. So I would say right now, be saving money. You know, even if you're like, we're setting aside $200 a month, don't wait till five years in because it gets harder and harder and harder. And then you have a $500,000 budget and it's even harder then. So that's what I'd say about capital campaigns and addendum saving. Yeah. And I would just add, just as important as what are good things and bad things that, uh, use for a uh, capital camp campaign for. I think there's always there's also good and bad ways to do a capital campaign. So that's just as important. Be careful not to step on any landmines. And don't get in the habit of, like like Brian said, uh, having a capital campaign at the end of every year so you can make budget. <laughs> that's, that's a bad thing to have a capital campaign for. Uh, your people don't want to hear that every December. So you know. Probably have time for one more question. Yep. Is there one more out there? Okay, we'll do both of you guys and then be done. Who wants to start? Any opinions? I mean, you're coaching lots of people. Any opinions offering Bob versus, say, offering Eugene from a church side of it? Yeah, he asked me any opinions in the in the churches you're working with about offering boxes versus passing an offering. Here's the thing is a lot of, I don't know what everybody's doing, but a lot of us planted churches and swore we were never going to pass the offering plate. I remember on our first Sunday, uh, a family member who visited on our launch Sunday, an older family member of mine said, you know, it's been shown that if you pass an offering plate, you'll take in more money. And for me, I was, you know, like, then that means we're not passing an offering plate. We don't want these people to, you know, and then you get like three or four years in and go, maybe we should think about passing an offering plate. Now... So what I have found is that I'm not going to moralize passing an offering plate or not. In fact, I don't think you should either by not passing an offering plate or bag or those th things with the handles that my kids want to make sure and touch as they go by, right? So, so I would just say know that oftentimes when you create some hill to die on in your first year, you change your mind in years three or four or five. And so my biggest piece of advice to you would be don't be too defiant about all of the 21 things that you are never going to do. We're never going to have a building. We're never going to own property. We're never going to preach on giving. There's a lot of repentance coming in like year five. <laughs> I'm just telling you, go into some of these other rooms, and that's what everybody will tell you. So There's, there's almost nothing that we do at our church that hasn't changed time and time and time again, and that's one of them. So 
Yeah, don't, don't die in any hills because you might be eating your words later. You can make an idol out of passing the plate and making an idol out of not passing it, so you can fall in the ditch on both sides on that. You can say things like, right now, this is how we give. We're not going to pass an offering plate. Yep. You can say things like that, but just don't ever use words like, we will never, and right. I promise. Yep. So, one more. Yeah, so regarding new givers, um, yeah, we oftentimes, I mean, if they gave with a check, their address is on the check, so I mail it to them. And I've, I've got a, a letter that I've pre-written that I update every once in a while as, as our information updates, just about, you know, the vision of the church, how much we've grown, so thank you for your, for your gift. I don't, uh, I won't say I don't, I don't care, but it doesn't matter to me whether or not that was a one-time visit with that one-time gift and we'll never see them again, I still want to thank them for it. They might have been visiting family and gave and left. Um, I still want to thank them for giving. Uh, and if they stick around, um, you know, that's, that's great. So, uh, and, and that's not the only time that we're thanking. I, I'll, I'll, send, uh, I'll send our givers postcards, you know, throughout the year. Just, hey, just so you know, we're super blessed by, by your, your contributions uh, regularly. And uh, so just kind of always kind of keeping it on the conscience. But, yep. That's it. Great. Yeah, Brian's got to run to his next session, so thank you guys very much. Hey, give Chris and uh, Brian a big hand. It is, it is time for lunch, so let me pray, and let me encourage you, if you don't have to run out and you're with the team, take one minute to, to write down a few thoughts before you go, or do it at lunch. Just don't wait till tomorrow, because you'll forget half of what you just thought about, okay? So let me pray. Father, thank you for the truth that that you have given way above and beyond what we could ever imagine uh, we should receive from you, that your grace and your riches to us is so extravagant and so generous. And so, Father, may the truth of that compel us to be generous people, and may it compel us to help others be generous. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Have a good lunch.